Hello. Hello. Welcome to Infinite Cast, your podcast. Uh, sorry, we missed last week. Uh, we were both traveling last weekend. Uh, you know, it ha- it happens sometimes. Although I was uh, thinking of how funny it would be if this is where we gave up on the project. It would, it would be, be a, a funny bit. It would be a funny bit. It's very that would be very joy of us but to make it within what like 35 pages of the end of a, a thousand page novel and be like eh, it's not worth it anymore hot fade yes Beep, boop. uh i wonder if we faded it here i'm sure there would be many people out there there'd be at least 10 of you <laughs> who would be very distressed yeah i don't think it would cause a twitter trending topic but yes it's the new fire festival <laughs> is this podcast that didn't yes, end it's the rug pool of infinite cast yeah uh what so we got some real gross stuff coming up yeah i was saying i was just doing a little scan ahead uh and david foster wallace can't let us finish this without at least one more kind of horrific uh like sexual abuse scene uh so content warning again where where do we leave off we're listening to this story of how this guy is going to get killed by a mobster right what how who's going to get killed by a mobster oh sorry uh yeah um dawn no Don's yeah we're friend. we're right now we're back at um eta and they're oh, yeah. watching um uh, you know hal's talking with mario and and katie coyle about stice who's losing his mind because he's haunted but now we're in a uh, we then veered over to talk about cosgrove watt one of um uh himself's terrible stock players in his oh yes lactrodectus Macdon's productions okay great so we can do that. Okay. We're 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 talking Cosgrove Watt. Cosgrove Watt, who Tennis we've established on. is like maybe you know the moms acquiesced uh, to have Cosgrove Watt live at ETA, but instructed Orin, Mario, and Hal never ever to remain in a room alone with him. Okay. All right. Should we get into it? Alcaraz v. Kakanakis highlights. On. I love that Alcaraz, the tennis player, of course, knows that he looks so good in these bright colors. He'll often be wearing like a bright pink or a purple or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does look just just fantastic. Very flattering. Yes. More men should wear bright colors. A pink pink is for boys. Pink is for boys and girls. Yes. And anyone else. Whoever. Whoever. It's a good color. Shall we? Yes. Let's dive in. Accomplice was one of Watt's later roles. It is a sad and simple cartridge and so short that the TP retract to the film's beginning in almost no time. Him, him, sorry, himself's film opens as a beautifully sad young bus station male prostitute, fragile and epicene and so blonde even his eyebrows and lashes are blonde, is approached in the Greyhound coffee shop by a flabby, dissipated-looking old specimen with gray teeth and circumflex eyebrows and obvious temporal lobe difficulties. Cosgrove Watt plays the depraved older man who takes the boy home to his lush but somehow scuzzy co-op apartment in fact, the place himself had rented for O and the Pea Goat and had decorated in various gradations of scuzz for the interiors of almost all his late projects. The sad and beautiful Aryan-looking boy agrees to seduction by the dissipated old specimen, but only on the condition that the man wear protection. The boy, who is inarticulate, nevertheless makes this stipulation extremely clear. Safe sex or no sex, he stipulates, holding up a familiar foil packet. The hideous old specimen, now in a smoking jacket and ascot of apricot-colored silk and smoking through a long white FDR-style filter, is offended, thinks the young male prostitute has sized him up as such a depraved and dissipated old specimen that he might well have it, the human immunovirus, he thinks. 
His thoughts are rendered via animated thought bubbles, which <laughs> himself at that late middle stage hoped the audience would find at once self-consciously non-illusory and wildly entertaining. Watt's old specimen is grinning grayly in what he thinks is a pleasant way as he obligingly takes the foil packet and removes his ascot with what he believes to be a sensual flourish. But inside his thought bubble, he's having temporal lobe spasms of sadistic rage at the sad blonde boy for appearing to size him up as a health risk. The obvious health risk here is referred to both orally and in the thought bubble merely as it. For example, little bastard thinks I'm so dissipated looking that I've been at this sort of thing so long that I'm likely to have it, does he? The old specimen thinks, his thought bubble going all jagged with rage. So the flabby old specimens now, at only six minutes into the cartridge, track 510, he's now taking the sad, beautiful boy in the standard, extravagantly hunched, homosexual way on the canopied bed of his tacky boudoir. The young male prostitutes dutifully assumed the hunched, homo-submissive position because the old ponce has showed him he's wearing the condom. The young prostitute, who's shown, hunched, only from the left side uh, during the act itself, seems beautiful in a fragile, skinny-flanked, visible ribs way, while the old specimen has the slack ass and pointy little breasts of a man-made grotesque by years of dissipation. The intercourse scene is done under bright lamps without any sort of soft focus or light jazz background score to lighten the atmosphere of clinical detachment. What the sad, blonde, submissive boy doesn't know is that the dissipated old specimen had secretly palmed an old-fashioned one-sharp-sided razor blade when he'd gone into his burgundy-tiled bathroom to gargle with cinnamon mouthwash and dab Calvin Klein brand pheromonic musk on his flabby pulse points. And as he hunches animalistically over the boy, he's holding the business end of the blade right up next to the sad boy's anus as he takes his pleasure, so that the blade's sharp side slices into both condom and erect phallus on each outthrust, the hideous old specimen unmindful of the blood and whatever pains involved in the phallic slicing as, still hunched and thrusting, he peels the slit condom off like the skin of a sausage. The young male prostitute, hunched submissively, feels the condom peel and then the blood and starts struggling like a condemned man, trying to get the condomless, bleeding, flabby old specimen out and off of him. But the boy's thin and delicate, and the old man has no trouble holding him down with his soft, slack, flabby weight until he's grimaced and grunted and taken his pleasure to its end. It's apparently an explicit homosexual sex scene convention that whoever takes the submissive hunched position keeps his face turned away from the camera while the dominant partner's phallus is inside him and himself honors this convention, through, uh, though a self-conscious footnote subtitled along the bottom of the screen rather irritatingly points out that the scene is honoring a convention. <laughs> the prostitute turns his agonized face around to the camera only after the depraved older homosexual has removed his bloody and deflating post-pleasure phallus, brings his blonde-browed face around to his left to face the audience in a mute howl as he collapses onto his delicate chest with his arms out on the satin sheets and his violated bum hiked high in the air, revealing now, at the crease of his bum and upper hamstring, a vivid purple splotch, more vivid than any bruise, and with eight spidery tentacles radiating from it that are, the older man's horrified thought bubble reveals, the unmistakable eight-legged vivid contusion blotch sign of Kaposi's sarcoma, that most universal symptom of it. And the boy is sobbing that the depraved old homosexual has made him, the prostitute, a murderer. The boy's racking sobs making the hiked bum waggle in front of the old specimen's horrified face as the boy sobs into the chartreuse satin and shrieks, murderer, murderer, over and over, so that almost a third of accomplices' total length 
is devoted to the racked repetition of this word, way, way longer than is needed for the audience to absorb the twist and all its possible implications and meanings. This was just the sort of issue Mario and I argued about. As I see it, even though the cartridge's end has both characters emoting out of every pore, Accomplice's essential project remains abstract and self-reflexive. We end up feeling and thinking not about the characters, but about the cartridge itself. By the time the final repetitive image darkens to a silhouette and the credits roll against it and the old man's face stops spasming in horror and the boy shuts up, the cartridge's real tension becomes the question. Did himself subject us to 500 seconds of the repeated crime murderer for some reason? I.e. is the puzzlement and then boredom and then impatience and then excruciation and then near rage aroused in the film's audience by the end. Uh, static repetitive final one third of the film aroused for some theoretical aesthetic end <laughs> or is himself simply an amazingly shitty editor of his own stuff. It was only after himself's death that critics and theorists started to treat this question as potentially important. A woman at UCAL Irvine had earned tenure with an essay arguing that the reason versus no reason debate about what was unentertaining in himself's work illuminated the central conundra of millennial après-garde film, most of which, in the teleputer age of home-only entertainment, involved the question why so much aesthetically ambitious film was so boring and why so much shitty, reductive commercial entertainment was so much fun. <laughs> the essay was turgid to the point of being unreadable, besides using <laughs> reference as a verb and pluralizing conundrum as conundra, which takes us to Endnote 379. See Note 144 Supra. I'm not sure if I do, but let me see if I can, if it's Is short. Is it just the plural of conundra? Uh, E.G. Oh, okay. Okay. E.G.C. Ursula Emmerich Levine. University of California, Irvine, watching grass grow while being hit repeatedly over the head with a blunt object. Fragmentation and stasis in James Owen Condensa's Widower, Fun with Teeth, Zero Gravity Tea Ceremony, and Prenuptial Agreement of Heaven and Hell, Art Cartridge Quarterly, Volume 3, Numbers 1 through 3, Year of the Purdue Wonder Chicken. Okay. So that was what was being read. And that, so the essay is not even on Accomplice. It, it isn't. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it's more about the wider... Yeah, you know, the wider oeuvre... Uh, from my hor back to the text. From my horizontal position on the bedroom floor, I could use the TP's remote to do everything but actually remove and insert cartridges into the drive's dock. The room's window was now a translucent clot of snow and steam. Interlaces spontaneous disseminations for New New England were all about weather. With our subscription system, ETA got numerous large market spontaneous tracks. Each track took a slightly different angle on the weather. Each track had a slightly different focus. Remote reports from Boston's North and South Shores, Providence, New Haven, and Hartford Springfield served to establish a, a consensus that a terrific amount of snow had fallen and was continuing to fall and blow around and pile up. Cars were shown abandoned at hasty angles, and we got to see the universal white VW bug shape of snow-buried cars. Black-helmeted gangs of adolescents on snowmobiles were shown prowling New Haven streets, clearly up to no good. Pedestrians were shown bent over and floundering. Remote report journalists were shown trying to flounder over to them to get their thoughts and reflections. One floundering reporter in Quincy on the South Shore abruptly disappeared from view, except for a hand with a microphone protruding bravely from some sort of sinkhole of snow. The bent backs of technicians were then shown floundering away from the remote camera to his aid. People with snowblowers, sorry, oh my God. People with snowblowers <laughs> stood in their own, <laughs> the fuck is wrong with my voice, stood in their own little blizzards. A pedestrian was filmed doing a spectacular pratfall. 
Cars at all angles in uh, streets were shown with their tires spinning, shuddering in stasis. One track kept cutting back to a man endlessly trying to brush off a windshield that immediately whitened again behind each brushstroke. A bus sat with its snout in a monster-sized drift. Athme fans atop the wall uh, north of Ticonderoga and NY were shown making horizontal cyclones of snow in the air. Rouged, somber women in interlaced studios concurred that this was the worst blizzard to hit the region since BS 1998 and the second worst since BS 1993. A man in a wheelchair was thrown, uh, shown staring stonily at a two-meter drift across the ramp outside the state house. Ooh, I wonder who that wheelchair man might be. Mm. Satellite maps of east-central Onan showed a white formation that was spiraled and shaggy and seemed to have what looked like claws. It was not a nor'easter. A hot, moist ridge from the Gulf of Mexico and an Arctic cold front had collided over the concavity. The storm's satellite photo was superimposed on schemata of the 98 ass kicker and shown to be just about identical. An unwelcome old acquaintance was back. A striking woman with black bangs and vivid lipstick said, smiling somberly. Another track iterated, this was not a nor'easter. It might have been better to say smiling mirthlessly. The flat glazed eyes of the man brushing impotently at his windshield seemed to represent an important visual image. Different tracks kept returning to his face. He refused to acknowledge journalists or requests for thoughts. His was the creepy business-like face of somebody, someone carefully picking up glass in the road after an accident in which his decapitated wife's been impaled on the steering wheel. Oh, God. Another track's anchor was a beautiful black woman with purple lipstick and what looked like a very tall crew cut. Reports of snow came in from all directions. After a while, I stopped keeping track of the number of times the word snow was repeated. All synonyms for snowstorm were rapidly exhausted. Helmetless thrill-seekers on snowmobiles were doing donuts in Copley Square downtown. Homeless men hunched nearly drift-covered in doorways, readying snorkels of rolled-up newspaper. <laughs> Jim Trolch, now apparently a resident of B204, had liked to do a pretty funny impression of an interlaced anchorwoman having an orgasm. One of the thrill-seekers' snowmobiles spun out of control and plunged into a, in, sorry, into a drift, and the remote camera stayed on the drift for several moments, but nothing emerged. Connecticut's National Guard Reserve had been ordered to assemble, but had not assembled because travel in Connecticut was impossible. Three men in uniforms and gray helmets chased two men in white helmets, all on snowmobiles, for reason an uh, on-site journalist described as not yet emergent. <laughs> Remote site journalists used words such as emergent, individual, alleged, utilize, and developing. But all of this impersonal diction was preceded by the anchor person's first name, as if the report were part of an intimate conversation. An interlaced delivery boy was shown delivering recorded cartridges on a snowmobile and was described as plucky. Uh, I guess I didn't realize that uh, uh, cartridges are delivered like newspapers. Yeah, well, is... I guess we've never even really interrogated this. That's what I thought uh, spontaneous dissemination was. It's kind of like a broadcast, right? Yeah, uh -huh. like a stream. Yes. Versus like a cartridge is like something recorded that you yeah. like rent or buy or, or I guess own. get delivered. Yeah. I, w I wonder if they work on kind of the original Netflix model. You kind of mail, they mail some out, you mail them back, uh, they mail them to you. If if you uh, used to um, get your Netflix uh, DVDs by mail, uh, you should you should get a good eye cream. <laughs> you like yes, that? Yes, I do. Uh, I used to take um, film class in film classes in college and uh, receive the study materials by Netflix sometimes. Oh, really? Which was kind of weird because we would be getting like you know like an old French film. And I'm like, is Netflix really delivering like twenty? 
20 DVDs to my French class? Or is everyone finding it in different ways? Yes. I should have learned how to torrent. Uh, my my whole thing was I would get uh, Netflix and as fast as I could get the DVDs delivered, rip and burn them and send them back with, without even watching them. So just use it for free... Uh, Free free piracy. Yeah, free cool. uh, DVD piracy. The Netflix uh, boondoggle led to me doing things like watching uh, The Tree of Life uh, in a laptop in the library yeah. three hours before class started. Yes. Being like, damn, this is profound. <laughs> I actually really, I really liked that viewing experience. I would like to watch that movie on again. A, on a laptop on in a library. Lar- on a larger screen. <laughs> anyway, uh... Otis P. Lord had gone undergone a procedure for the removal of the Hitachi monitor on Thursday, Lamontchu had said. I had never once ridden a snowmobile, skied, or skated. ETA discouraged them. Delint described winter sports as practically getting down on one knee and begging for an injury. <laughs> the snowmobiles on the viewer all made sounds like little chainsaws that were extra pugnacious to compensate for being so little. There was a poignant shot of a stuck plow in Northampton. Individuals who are not with emergency reasons to travel, sick, were being officially discouraged from traveling by a state trooper in a hat with a chin strap. A Brockton man in a Land's End parka took a fall too burlesque to have been unstaged. I could barely recall the 98 blizzard. The academy had been open for only a few months. I remember the edges of the shaved hilltop were still square and steep and striped in sedimentary layers, final construction delayed by some nasty piece of litigation from the VA hospital below. The storm came barreling in southeast from Canada in March. Dwight Flechette and Oren and the other players had to be led to the lung roped together single file, shtit in the lead, carrying a highway flare. A couple photos hung in CT's waiting room. The last boy along the rope disappeared into a forlorn gray whirl. The lung's new bubble had to be taken down and fixed when Snow White stove it in on one side. The tea stopped running. I remember some of the younger players had cried and sworn up and down that the blizzard wasn't their fault. (laughs) For days, Snow turned steadily out of a graphite sky. Himself had sat in a spindle-backed chair at the same living room window CT now uses for advanced worry and aimed a series of non-digital cameras at the mounting snow. After years in which his consuming obsession was the establishment of ETA, Oren said, himself had started in with the film obsession almost immediately after the Academy was up and running. Oren had said, has said the moms had assumed the film thing was a passing obsession. Himself had seemed interested mostly in the lenses and rasters, which takes us to note 380, the 1.3 uh, to 1 aspect ratio rectangle scanned by electron beams in video imaging, now replaced by multi-interlace solid field HD uh, digital imaging. And so, multi-interlace has a subnote. Why Noreen Lace Forche's seminal corporation's name was a kind of wry pun. Two to one interlace was pre HD television's term for breaking the picture frame into two 262.5 line fields for standard 525 line raster scanning. A very in type joke designed to appeal to the same big four that Noreen LF was then wooing. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Back to the text. Where am I? Uh, mostly in the lenses and rasters at first and in the consequences of their modification. He sat in that chair throughout the whole storm, sipping brandy from a one-handed snifter, his long legs not quite covered by a plaid blanket. (laughs) His legs had seemed to me almost endlessly long back then. He always seemed to be right on the edge of coming down with something. His record up until then indicated that he remained obsessed with something until he became successful at it, then transferred his obsession to something else. 
from military optics to annular optics to entrepreneurial optics to tennis pedagogy to film. In the chair during the blizzard, he'd had beside him several different types of camera and a large leather case. The inside of the case was striated with lenses down both sides. He used to let Mario and me put different lenses in our eyes and squint to hold them, imitating shtit. One way of looking at the film obsession's endurance is that himself was never really successful or accomplished at filmmaking. This was something else on which Mario and I had agreed to disagree. <laughs> it took almost a year to complete the move from Weston to ETA. The moms had attachments in Weston and she drew things out. I was pretty small. I lay flat on my back in our room's carpet and tried to recall details of our home in Weston, twidg twidgling the TP's remote with my thumb. I do not have Mario's head for remembered detail. One dissemination track simply panned the metro Boston sky and horizons from atop the Hancock Tower. On the FM band... Is this uh, broadcasting giving you uh, memories of New England winter oh, reportage? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, ba footage, back in the day... Footage of, of suited men in Boston tripping on stuff? Back in the day, you had to uh, turn the TV on early in the morning and watch for your school to end up of on course. the ticker oh, yes, tape I for remember school that. closings, yes. which was always now, devastating. Now, be because you were... You were in a uh, a winter storm prone area. Would did it have to be a particularly nasty storm for your school to get closed? I swear we barely got snow days. Like some years we got none. And I, now my my mom it works at a school and she gets like I swear she gets like seven or eight a year. Uh, I think yeah, I probably had like three or four snow days total in my in all, all my school years. Yeah, it's not a frequent event. But always a delight when it happened. Always a delight. I once had a, I'll never forgive anybody for this, that I had a dentist appointment on a snow day and I had to go. What the fuck? Awful. I, it went from being a th something that I would be able to like, you know, slightly dip out early from school from uh, to, to something that was bisecting my snow day when I could have been sledding. Yeah, it's a mutual thing because it's not only uh, wasting the snow day, but it's then it's also wasting getting out of school to do something else. Yeah. And Awful. having to like drive in this. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. Uh, you, you call it. Should have called up the dentist. Sorry, I, I can't. We're I gonna have to reschedule. I need to be on a cold hill. I need to be on a cold hill, being all wet. All right. Uh, boo -boo. on the FM band WYYY was apparently doing its weather report via Mimesis, broadcasting raw static while the student staff doubtless did bongs in celebration of the storm and then went up sliding around the union's cerebral rooftop. The Hancock camera's pan included the. Oh my God! Sinciput, S I N C I P U T of the MIT Union. Its roofs convolutions filling with snow ahead of the rest of it. Creepy filigrees of white against the roofs. Roofs deep gray. Our subdorm room's only carpet was an oversized corruption of the carpet page from the Lindisfarne Gospels, in which you had to look very closely to make out the tiny pornographic scenes in the Byzantine weave surrounding the cross. I'd acquired the carpet years ago during a period of intense interest in Byzantine pornography, inspired by what I'd seen as a titillating reference in the OED. I, too, had moved serially between obsessions as a child. I adjusted my angle on the carpet. I was trying to align myself along some sort of grain in the world I could barely feel since Pemulus and I stopped, meaning the grain, not the world. I realized I could not distinguish my own visual memories of the Weston house from my memories of hearing Mario's detailed reports of his memories. What are you pointing at? Anna Wintour, Anna Wintour. and Jerry... Is that Seinfeld? Yeah, that's Seinfeld. Nice. And then... This is the crowded Arthur uh, Ashe Stadium. Yeah. We're, we're, we're getting footage of the celebs section. Yeah. Anna Wintour loves tennis. I wonder if she plays. I feel like her bones 
are either made of glass or, or steel. Yeah. Uh, is Jerry Seinfeld's wife the one who made the spinach brownies? Jessica, yeah. Okay. I believe she's from Vermont. I think that's one of our like claims to fame. Mrs. Seinfeld? Yeah, Mrs. Seinfeld. Sorry for the distraction. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I remember a late Victorian three-level on a low, quiet street of elms, hyper-fertilized lawns, tall homes with oval windows and screen porches. One of the streets' homes had a pineapple finial. Only the street itself was low. The lots were humped up high, and the houses so tall, the broad street seemed nevertheless constricted, a sort of affluence-flanked de- defilet. Uh, <laughs> it seemed always to be summer or spring. I could remember the mom's voice high overhead at a screen porch door, calling us in as dusk dr- drifted down and leaded fan lights began to light up at Holmes's doors in some sort of linear sink. Either our driveway or another driveway flanked with whitewashed stones, the shapes of beads or drops. The mom's intricate garden in a backyard enclosed by a fence work of trees. Himself on the screen porch, stirring a gin and tonic with his finger. The mom's dog, S. Johnson, remember what happened to him? Yes. Not yet neutered, confined by psychosis in a sort of large fenced pen abutting the garage, running around and around the pen when thunder sounded. The smell of Noxema, himself uh, behind Orin in the upstairs bathroom, towering over and down, teaching Orin to shave against the grain, upward. I remember S. Johnson leaping up on his hind legs and sort of playing the fence with his paws as Mario approached the pen, the rattling chain links pitch. The circle of earth worn bare by S.J.'s orbit in the pen when thunder sounded or planes crossed overhead. Himself sat low in chairs and could cross his legs and still have both feet flat on the floor. He'd hold his chin in his hand while he looked at you. My memories of Weston seemed like tableau. They seemed more like snapshots than films. A weird isolated memory of summertime gnats knitting the air above the... Oh, that's so cute. And the summertime gnats knitting the air above the shaggy animal head of a na- neighbor's, uh, is it t- topiary? 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 Topiary hedge. Our own round shrubs trimmed flat as tabletops by the moms. I feel like a sign of um, psychosis is trimming your hedges into like shapes. Yes. It's like the, um, the shining, you know? Yes. Uh, Unless you're good enough to do big animals. Suburban uh, madness. Our own round shrubs, oh, sorry, uh, trimmed flat as tabletops by the moms. More horizontals, the chatter of hedge clippers, their power cords bright orange. I had to swallow spit with almost every breath. I remembered climbing with a dawdler's heavy tread, the cement steps up from the street to a gambrel-roofed late Victorian. Is it the last time we saw this house when he ate the mold? Yes. Ah. Uh, whose narrow height from the steps gave it the distended look of thick liquid hanging, gingerbread eaves, undulate shingles of weathered red, zinc gutters the moms' graduate students came and kept clean. A blue star in the front window and the words block mother, which had always (laughs) suggested either a rectangular woman or some type of football crowd cheer. The inside cool and dim (laughs) and a smell of lemon pledge. I had no visual memories of my mother without white hair. All that varied was the length a touch-toned phone with a cord running into the wall on a horizontal surface in a recessed alcove near the front door, cork floors and pre-mounted shelving of woody-smelling wood, the chilling framed print of Lang directing Metropolis in 1924, which takes us to Note 381, um, 
more like BS 1926, according to the still photo archive at NNY's City's Museum of Modern Art, plus NB the print, which Hal correctly remembers Avril always loathing, long predated JOIs ever picking up a camera. And then there's a sub note that says, hence the relative queerness of it still being up on the HMH living room wall four years after Incandenza's fellow to say. It's not like anybody asked her to keep the thing up. Uh, I have a story about Fritz Lang's Metropolis, okay. but I'll save it till the end. Great. Back to the text. A hulking black chest with strap hinges of brass. A few of himself's old heavy tennis trophies as bookends on the mounted shelving. An étagère filled with old-fashioned magnetic videos in bright adverting boxes. A cluster of blue and white delfs on the étagère's top shelf that had dwindled as one figurine after another got knocked off by Mario, stumbling or shoved. Oh, shoved. No, that's Orin. Orin is so mean to him. Aww. It kills me. Um, bop, bop. Where, uh, the blue white chairs with the protective plastic that made your legs sweat. A divan done in some sort of burlap-esque Iranian wool dyed to the color of sand mixed with ash. This may have been a neighbor's divan. Some cigarette burns in the fabric of the divan's arms. Books, videotapes, kitchens, cans, all alphabetized. Everything painfully clean. Several spindle-backed captain's chairs in contrasting fruit woods. A surreal memory of a steamed lavatory mirror with a knife sticking out of the pane. A massive, a massive stereo television console of whose gray-green eye I was afraid when the television was off. Some of the memories have to be confabulated or dreamed. The moms would never have had a divan with burns in it. A picture window east, the direction of Boston, with claret-colored uh, figures and a blue sun all suspended in a web of lead. The candy-colored summer sunrise through that window as I watched television in the a.m. The tall, thin, quiet man himself, with his razor burn and bent glasses and chinos too short, whose neck was slender and shoulders sloped, who slumped in candied east uh, window sunlight with his tailbone supported by windowsills, meekly stirring a glass of something with his finger, while the mom stood there, telling him she'd long since abandoned any reasonable hope that he could hear what she was telling him. This silent figure, of whom I still remember mostly endless legs and the smell of Noxima shave cream, seems still almost, uh, impossible to reconcile with the sensibility of something like accomplice. It was impossible to imagine himself conceiving of sodomy and razors, no matter how theoretically. I lay there and could almost remember Orin telling me something almost moving that himself had once told him, something to do with accomplice. The memory hung somewhere just out of conscious reach, and its tip-of-the-tongue inaccessibility felt too much like the preface to another attack. I accepted it. I could not remember. Um, how are we doing on time? We're right at 30. Um, where did I start? Sorry. Beep, 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 beep. Is that, is that a paragraph break? It is. I mean, so, we, should, we should take it. 944 to 950. Yeah, eight pages. Eight pages, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's really... There's lots to discuss. Come on, let's spool out the, the, the very end of this. <laughs> there's there's a lot to talk for about. It's worth. Uh, well, where do you want to start? Uh, I don't know. Accomplice? <laughs> Accomplice? Uh, sounds very unpleasant. <laughs> I know. And like, yeah, the, the pornographic nature of it. It's, yes. fu it's funny how basically I, I was truly wondering where we were going with that whole reverie of childhood. And it's basically like, how the fuck could my dad make a movie like that? <laughs> yes. Like what, it, what, what is going yes. on inside the sick mind of J.O. and Condenza? <laughs> From the twisted mind of J.O. and Condenza. <laughs> Honestly, the first thing that I thought of when reading about Accomplice, obviously this book was published in 1996 when 
HIV and AIDS were better understood and easier to treat, but yes. still a life shortener and a social, um, you know, yeah. uh, uh, not a, a, a huge social uh, hindrance yes. to your life. And that thing just went viral last week of like a young uh, uh, gay person um, talking about their HIV diagnosis. Yes. And someone, of course, like quote tweeted and being like, this is like an abomination or whatever. And everyone's like, no, this is actually great. Are you kidding? This guy can live his entire life like he can have a normal yeah. life. He can be actually like the the amount of work and the amount of people who died for this. Yes. I don't know. That's what it just reminded me of is that the the role of AIDS was a completely different when this book was written. Yes. To the point where this will eventually start to seem like historical. Yes. You know what I mean? I mean it it, it already kind of kind of does. I it's, it's a it's a weird arc there. I'm trying to remember what I thought of AIDS in the 90s. My pediatrician had a um poster hanging up in the exam room. That was like a cartoon of a little kid uh, looking very like poignant and uh, mm -hmm. sad. And he, it, the kid said, I have AIDS. Please hug me. I won't make you sick. Oh, wow. And it was basically like a um, uh, information uh, sharing platform of like, you can't get AIDS from a hug. Yes. Uh, that's kind of, that was probably like 1996, 1997. I mean, I guess like our age group growing up with it is kind of kind of an an interesting inflection point because as i became aware of something like that it felt foreign and alien a because it was many of the cultural references to it were that it was so dangerous but also mm -hmm. it had to do with sex which was and drugs and drugs which yeah. was you know again thinking about like the 90s when i'm like under 12 years old yeah like almost as foreign and alien as the idea of a sexually transmitted disease itself, let alone the totally. worst one, AIDS. Yeah. And then by t as I became more aware of it, it also was getting exponentially safer, more treatable, less yeah. widespread during the time. So I don't know. Uh, by also, time I, I assume, became overtly sexual. I, I assume it was like, your social uh, milieu was also maybe not super yes, exactly, AIDS forward. Exactly. I didn't know. I didn't know anyone who had been, or at least was public about being affected by it. I would say in the '90s, it would probably still be somewhat shameful yes. to even say and that of you course knew we somebody. Were, we were in like nice suburban heterosexual bourgeois Very heterosexual, milieus. Yeah. yeah, so probably not that many uh, people. I mean, I think the for one of the first like AIDS stories that I was aware of was um, Ryan White, who was like a kid who got infected. It was basically it, it makes sense why he was like a poster child in a way. Do you know Do you know his story? Uh, no, I not think, off the top of my head. I think he was a hemophiliac. He was something that required blood transfusions, and, and he, like, he got got, he got HIV from a blood transfusion. Mm -hmm. And they basically used him as like a you know, it's not just sex and it's not just drugs. It's, and it's not just gays. And it's yeah, it's like something that can happen. It and yeah, it can yeah. happen to anybody. It can happen to you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's just um, you know, thinking of like prep and other like treatment. Yes. I mean, like we could get. Like we probably in our lifetimes, I think there will be like a cure for AIDS. Yeah, well, it's a virus, and there's no like cure. AIDS is for a syndrome. It's, it's, it's a syndrome. Yeah. HIV is the virus. Yes. Um, like I, I think that most of the work has been done to like slow it down. Yes. And like I can see it being stopped and reversed sure. in our lifetime, which is fucking cool. That is and cool. I'm sure that's something that David Foster Wallace would have uh, simply not uh, have ever imagined. I don't know if anyone would have imagined it. In yeah, I don't know. What is Wallace? 
I mean, I'm sorry if I'm sounding flippant, flippant here. I, I really don't mean to. But what is Wallace's relationship to uh, gay stuff? I don't know. I mean, what is any what is any straight per, uh, purportedly yeah. straight guy's relationship I'm, I'm to, to think gay of the stuff? Instances of he- of homosexuality throughout yeah. this book. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, his vision of homosexuality I, is usually uh, paired with like disease, death, exploitation, ex, uh, addiction. Um, yeah. But what else, what isn't in the book? You know. Yeah, that's true. It's not like being straight is so great in this book either. But yeah, this is certainly a uh, a pretty uh, raw and ungenerous <laughs> version of gay sex. Well, no, I I to get, say the least. Yeah, or, I mean, uh, but, but even just like the total nature of the encounter. Yeah, you know, bus station hustler prostitutes. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a uh, um uh watches uh midnight cowboy once. A little um, yeah, no, I mean, none of the sex in this book is good. No, so it, it's a, this is a kind of like sex negative book. Yeah, in a way. I, well, I mean, what is the what is the uh, best quote-unquote best portrayal of sex in this book the uh athletic and hyper compulsive sex of Oren. no yeah no he's he's uh he's a sexually abused child who turns yeah. into a like sexually coercive man yes that's a no-go hal is a- asexual yes um but yeah his mom is uh pr- pretty much confirmed to be abusive uh his dad seems okay, weirdly. Maybe that's the... Uh, yeah, well, he seems like he sublimates all of his uh, obsessions into uh, making bizarre, violently pornographic films. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know what, where else to go with that other than, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like sex is a, uh, you know, it's, it's treated as any other pleasurable thing in this book, <laughs> uh, which is to say that it's... Something a, to be abused. Something to be abused and addicted to and uh, have an unhealthy relationship De- with. Develop psychoses around. Uh, and um, con- uh, syndromes, conditions, what is the word I'm looking for? Psychoses? Psychoses, yeah. Um, no, in psychology where you have like a... Uh, ah, whatever. Uh, so then that brings us back to this reverie about the house, which, you know, again, the, their original house, this kind of like suburban daydream house, the l- last time we saw it was in the very beginning, right? Yeah, that's a good pull. I had forgotten cl- clearly uh, Hal's um, like psychedelic uh, reveries leading him back to perhaps where it all began yes. when he ate the mold that had grown mold. And My this son is, ate this. And this is LSD that's done LSD. Yeah. <sighs> Again, I'm st- still not, uh, you know, we're, st- we're still putting everything together, but um, I'm sure it'll go further from here. Oh, I have a Fritz Lang story. Should I tell the yes. Fritz Lang story? Yeah. It's not a really good story, but it, it's I still never see Metropolis, which I would and should and could one day. I'm happy that it's still out there for me to see because I'm sure I will love it. It's on the Criterion channel. But I remember in high school, uh, they were touring around a 35 millimeter print that came to one of our art theaters. And, you know, my buddies and I saw movies every weekend and I was like, hey, this is like an all time classic sci-fi film on a decent print. Mm -hmm. Nothing better is out this weekend. What are we going to see? Stealing Harvard again? (laughs) Uh, Do you guys want to go see Metropolis? And they were like, "Uh, what is this? And I was like, yeah, it's a a sci-fi, it's a classic sci-fi silent film directed by a German and like German guy, Fritz Lang in like 1928 Mm. or whatever, you know, it's pulling. And they were like, German guy, 1920s, you want to go see some Nazi film? What are you, some kind of Nazi Chris Nazi Wade. Are you joking? Yes. <laughs> That's so funny. Frig- I mean, it's not. It was, yeah. 
Uh, my Jewish friends being like, oh, you want to strangle Jews with your Nazi film, Chris? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? This is Fritz Lang. This is from, excuse me, this is Weimar era? Yeah, it's from the it's from the 20s. It is Jesus. a classic. He, he, he fled the Nazis. Come on, bros. Yeah, anyway, is, we didn't get to go see it. Oh, no. Fucking Philistine college friends. I'm sure we pl- just played Halo in Aaron's basement for seven hours instead. Hey. When you're when you're young, you try to have uh, principles, and uh, sometimes the principles can no, they just take you in a weird direction. Fucking, they just didn't want to see a movie that I suggested. They, maybe they didn't want to see a movie that, that was that old, you know? Yeah, probably. Oh my God, did we reach the centennial of uh, Metropolis? No, no, almost, no, almost. But yeah, a lot of things are going to start. A lot of things are going to start having centennials that you're like, woof. Yeah, damn. Yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, classic films and stuff. Uh. Unfortunately or unfortunately for me, again, I I really should just watch Metropolis. Um, yeah, maybe we we'll sh- let's do it let's because Metropolis. Uh, Metropolis, of course, first came into my uh, view finder through you know it's so influential. It really inspires people to like do their own dystopia. So like Janelle Monae's first album was like inspired by, by Metropolis. Metropolis of yeah. course. I don't mean to be snarky. I actually really like that album, but it's just, you know, there, there's yeah. a certain, there's certain movies uh, and other pieces of art that like, it's, you know, they will get referenced. Yeah. To death. Well, it's kind of like, there are certain things that are always going to be universally cool to reference. Yeah. You know? And You're you never have to go miss with a metro- Nobody's ever going to like roll their eyes of being like, really a metropolis reference. Let's get to a point where we do. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to make, I'm going to start doing some very cringe metropolis references. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have to we have to make Metropolis uh um for normies somehow, uh, which maybe it is. I need to maybe we can get into some movie mindset. Um, because yeah, the the referenced criticism, the essay arguing that the reason versus no reason uh debate about what was unentertaining in himself's work illuminated the central conundra of millennial apregard film, most of which in the teleputer age of home-only entertainment involved the question why so much aesthetically ambitious film was so boring and why so much shitty reductive commercial entertainment was so much fun. And I just wanted to say that now we seem to get into... Uh, we, we might have crossed uh, wires, so now I feel like aesthetically ambitious film is maybe more interesting and shitty reductive commercial entertainment is boring. Uh, yes. But then also you know any kind of avant-garde has been like so ruthlessly purged from anything but like elite arts art societies that you know people there's been debate this year about whether like tar is too like snootily art arty to be worth even watching by your normal consumer that's ridiculous that's that's ridiculous yes i've never you've not not seen seen some of the like the traumatized zoomer film takes of of being like i'm sorry (laughs) uh uh, tar is so is so boring and arty that it is inaccessible i've seen i've seen people say it's boring uh uh, yeah i've seen people be like that first scene was like way too long yes that's that's the the point i just yeah i guess you know uh, it, get, it gets back into the JOI discussion is like, if something sucks, it, is it intentional or not? Go watch Moth Parts. I won't. I won't. I won't. Uh, I that's what I say to, say to all those people. A, a film made entirely of, of desiccated parts of moth, moths glued oh. to the celluloid. Moth Parts. Moth Parts. Moth Arms. Moth Wings. Oh, they really moth you. They really moth you. They really do. Um, but yeah, I, I. 
It's Oscar night. It is Oscar night. All the stars are the here. The skies were dark because all the stars are here at the Kodiak Theater in beautiful Hollywood, California. Do they do a replay? I don't know. We'll have to I, get into it. I can't. I've, I've, this is the year that I've never seen more Best Picture nominees. Yes. I've, I think I've seen seven out of ten. I, this is huge for me. I think I've seen all of them, but... Oh, I've, I've you not haven't seen, seen women talking. I, I, yes, because you're sexist. Yes, of course. I, I actually. T- he doesn't need to see women talking. Women talking is one me. of those movies. Is be <laughs> woman talking. Uh, is one of those movies be where uh, you'll see it's nominated for best picture. I'm like, when did this come out? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like the Andrea Riseborough thing, oh, where yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm convinced that literally no one besides the uh, A-list celebs who campaigned for her have even yes. seen it. I think the box office was like $20,000. That's like, honestly, work. And I feel like that's like Charlize Theron or whoever was one of those people just donating $20,000 to the box office and be like, say this was for tickets. <laughs> I, don't know if you, uh, I don't know if you can do that. But I've not seen women talking. I've not seen All Quiet on the Western Front. But otherwise, uh, yeah, seen them all. Uh, good year for movies. I think it's a great year for movies. I think movies are back. Cinema, cinema's back. I think we can definitively say that movies are back. Yeah. Uh, and even, at least even for the this ones year. We'll that, see what happens you know, next year. Even the ones that were good uh, or weren't that great were still like fine. Yes. You know, like Triangle of Sadness. That was fine. I was it entertained for the period of time that yes. it was on. Um, Have I thought about it very much since? No. No. Uh, I mostly just like that first scene. I wish the entire movie was the first scene. Well, let's, Without arguing about who pays for dinner. I, yeah, I mean, I could have done a full. It's almost like a like a subverted like girls episode of just like yeah. mo- modern day dating politics. Okay, can I can I go on a little bit of a rant? Here? Can I go off on a rant here? Can yes, I go definitely. on a little bit of a tangent? Yeah. So the for for anyone who hasn't seen, I don't think it's a spoiler. Is that the first scene in Triangle of Sadness is like to a model couple, a ma- a man and a woman going out to dinner and having this sort of like fraught scene where uh you know one one person ma- the girl makes more money clearly. Uh, but, you know, the guy should pay for dinner and it creates this sort of tension that I thought was really interesting. Honestly, maybe the most interesting thing about that movie. Yeah, it's great. Uh, you go online and there are all people keep inventing new ways to have fucked up romantic relationships. Like, for example, did you know there's something called a situationship now? I've seen this term. Yes. That, uh, that, no, that's not what that woman on that podcast was being very inarticulate about. She, the, she was talking about the talking phase. Yeah. There's also the talking state. Uh, I was, was uh, I guess I haven't dated in so long that they're now doing it differently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's the talking stage, there's a situationship, and then you get into your various friends with benefits and uh, mm-hmm. you know boyfriends and whatever on, on your way down to the aisle, uh, and then you die. Uh, there, why aren't there movies like we used to at least try to make movies about social relationship phenomena? Like we made two movies in the same year about, yeah, about what it was like friends. to have friends with benefits. Yes. Why are we doing? Where's the situationship movie? Yes. Uh, do I think situationship is is cool or good? Probably not. It's really none of my business, though. What there should be someone right now writing a movie called Situationships. Uh, I'm sure they are, and I'm sure they are in uh, a screenwriting class in in some kind of college. All right. I just the, the if we keep inventing new ways to uh, be annoying well, with each it, other, why are we capturing this on film? In, in one sentence, define a situationship. Yeah, when you're involved with someone, but you you haven't defined it uh, on purpose. So, uh, so this is interesting. It is a a state that is defined by its lack of definition. Correct, sir. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah. Very postmodern. You know? It is very postmodern, and I don't begrudge people who do it. Um, 
I, I usually usually just think that sex and relationships are a lot simpler than p- uh, people make it seem. But it's hilarious yes. when people try to invent new ways to do it. Yes, I pe- you know people want labels on everything, but it's or also they, like, or they don't, or they want half labels, yeah, sort of labels, semi labels. Yes, uh, but I think it's also part maybe part of that thing of like how having identities around things gives the uh, the implication of some kind of uh, protected status or something. Where you can almost say say more. (laughs) Where it's like you can almost uh, act like you're being oppressed if you are merely in a situationship rather than a a full dating or being like exploited. Uh, that's interesting. I I don't know if I've seen that yet. I'm sure it's happening. Um, I mean, I guess it's just if you want it. I don't know. To me, things are basically boiled down to do do you want something or not? Yeah. Do do you want someone to share your life with or not? And in the end. The freaks wanted it more. <laughs> That's my favorite line from Matt's of describing who wow who won the English Civil War. And How about why. this? People keep inventing new ways to say that they're twenty three and they're not quite sure what they want yes, uh, for like a long term yes, relationship. Yes, which is completely normal. Yes, that's just called being twenty three. Yes, nobody likes you then. Nobody likes you then. Nobody likes you when you're twenty three. Uh, anything else uh, important that we missed? From uh, any uh, notes, updates, corrections, childhood, childhood memories, uh, uh, gay, gay sex, <laughs> violent uh, gay sex, violent gay sex, memories of your father, memories of your father. <laughs> uh, I got, I got nothing. Yes. Okay. Well, haven't, haven't seen Don in a minute. Hopefully, we'll see him again soon. Yes, he's still in the hospital, or no, he's still memor. What is his accomplice's name? Who's who's dying or who's going to be killed by? Whitey. Oh, um, Fackelman. Fackelman. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Facts. That's that's. Goddamn lie. Goddamn lie. We haven't <laughs> caught up with that. Uh, yeah. Barreling towards the end, probably what, like thirty-five pages left. Thirty pages. Wow. Yeah. What a long, strange journey it's been. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.